My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, welcome to our Sunday school class. I'm uh, Josh Landers. I'll be proctoring this class this morning. I was curious to see how, what the crowd was going to be like with the daylight savings time. Anybody have any issues? No? We're all good? All the important ones, right? <laughs> all right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll start this Sunday school class the way uh, we normally start it. And uh, I've been working on my awkward, silent pause. I can do it, right? So what is God doing in you through the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? What is God doing in you through the portion of Mark we have studied so far? I actually have one, so I was prepared for this. <laughs> I knew I couldn't do it. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. Um, one of the things that we've been learning about is the inner and outer circles, how we've been doing our prepositions inside and outside. And uh, one of the things I learned this week in this lesson was about making your circle larger. And um, Katie did something to us this weekend that I would have never done in a million years. But basically, we met a, a couple who was new to the area two weeks ago, and uh, Katie bumped into them again at the grocery store and said, hey, well, let's go to dinner this weekend. So we went out to a dinner with people that we did not know, and that is very uncomfortable for some of us engineers out there. <laughs> but it is, but it was making our circle larger and meeting people. So it's made a difference in our life. Somebody else.
Absolutely. We'll see that today about doing things intentionally, knowing what should be done in the correct order of doing them. So thank you. Is there one more? All right. Let's read Mark chapter 6. Everybody has a book, has their Bible. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? Is not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could not do mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading man of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. 
And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to the Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by, but when, he saw, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So, today's lesson is uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. We're going to do the first half of it here. And this was actually a very interesting lesson for me to spend a lot of time working on because we have all seen and heard and probably even taught this story to our children. Go ahead. Um... This gospel is actually in all four of the books, 
um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting to be able to go through and read the parallel passages and to read the story over and over again and see how the different, uh, how it was recorded just a little bit differently, but it's all very much the same, the same story. Um, so I'm not going to make you try to read this, but this is the story of Jesus feeds the 5,000. If you go to the next slide, David, this is the part that we do the flannel graph on, the second half of it that I'm not going to even touch on today. And it's interesting, thinking back, who all had the flannel graphs growing up in Sunday school, right? And it's interesting how we still flannel graph a lot of the gospel, and we uh, shorten it and simplify it. But learning and reading about the first half of this story this week showed me how God, how Jesus is so deliberate in the things that he was doing. And actually, I think this lesson would be a lot easier to teach backwards because there's so much foreshadowing happening in, happening in the beginning of it that it'd be a lot easier to explain backwards. So we're going to be doing a lot of jumping forward and backwards today. So go ahead and go to the next slide. All right, so chapter 30, the apostles returned. I'm sorry, chapter 30, verse 30. The apostles returned. So who are the apostles? You're going to have to help me do this. It's going to be slow. Who are the apostles? These are Jesus' disciples, right? So who are these not? Well, we just learned in the last chapter. John's disciples. So it's important because Mark uses a lot of he and they and them. And it's very important to walk through these words slowly so we know exactly who this is. So this is Jesus' disciples. So they had just returned. Where did they return from? Two by two. So Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two. And what were they supposed to be doing? Right? He had sent them out to uh, teach. Uh, They had authority over the unclean spirits. They proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons. They anointed and they were actually healing the sick that we just learned about in chapter 5 or earlier in chapter 6. So looking at the time frame, what had just happened? What big historical thing had just happened before they got back? John the Baptist was murdered, was beheaded, right? And the way Mark is written, everything is immediate. These things had just happened. So picture that, that the disciples had been gone. They had been out healing. They had been doing what, God sent, what Jesus sent them to do. And they had just gotten back. And Herod's dead. Sorry, <laughs> John is dead, killed by Herod. We wished Herod was dead. Um, and they, had, they started telling Jesus all that they had done and all that they had taught. So uh, if you read this carefully, you could kind of read into the fact that the disciples were talking about what they had done and what they had taught. So by whose power were the disciples capable of doing these miraculous things? Absolutely. Jesus had given them the power to do these things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit within them, they were capable. So again, this is a little bit of foreshadowing that the disciples are talking about what they had done because later on in chapter 6, 
Jesus is going to say, well, you feed them. Which really teaches us and them that we and they can't do it on our own. We can't. We can think we can do it, but it will not happen by our power. Go ahead. Verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourself. So again, who is them? Who are we talking about? Yeah, the apostles. Jesus' disciples. He said, you come with me. And this is where I was alluding to earlier about the inner circle and the outer circle. This is where Jesus wants to take his inner circle away by themselves. And this word come that they use, come away by yourselves, it means continually or habitually. So Jesus is is telling his disciples, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. And when you read it that way, it has a little bit different bent. He is always calling us to come with him, stay with him. So who are the disciples and Jesus leaving? The masses, the crowd. Think of it as this distraction, this great thronging distraction. And Jesus is asking his disciples to leave that and come with me. And he says this word desolate place, and we're going to see this come up over and over again. So why, why would Jesus want his inner circle to be with him in a desolate place? No distractions. So I looked up the word desolate, and the word desolate actually means devoid of people, lacking people. Because you think of it as like this nasty, dark, kind of terrible place, but it actually means there's no people. That's desolate. And, uh, yes? The first definition he puts on here is lonesome. Lonesome. like screams out to me, Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to be by yourself alone without anybody around, so it's just me that's right. So we need to keep that thought in mind, right? Especially in today's age. So, but the other thing that's going on, uh, a desolate place. I mean, think about it after you've had a family tragedy. Do you go out to O'Charlie's, you know, and everybody get together and have them sing you a happy birthday? No, you want to go to a, a quiet place. You want to go be with your, with your friends and your family in this small, quiet, dark place. So that's where Jesus, just imagine him imploring his inner circle to come with me and let's, let's do this together. So what would they need to discuss? Just so we can focus the conversation here, what would they need to discuss in private? One thing is definitely what happened to John the Baptist. Because remember, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was the one preparing Jesus' way. And the disciples may or may not, they probably had caught wind of it, but whether or not they had had a time collectively to discuss it is up for debate. They may not have. But the other thing is that the disciples had been out on their mission. They had been doing these great works, and they had just returned and all these people are around him. They haven't even had time to talk. So yeah, you know, let's get away to a desolate place. 
All right, go ahead. Verse 31. Again. So he said, let's go to the desolate place and let's rest a while. Yeah, that's right. So it's interesting here that uh, Jesus actually gives a command to rest. But he caps it with only for a while. Rest just for a while. Let's take a break. So why would the disciples need to rest? They'd been giving, 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 and they hadn't been taking. Because remember, Jesus told them, don't take anything with you. They had nothing. So they'd been away on their own giving this entire time. And it's interesting that uh, Jesus sees this, right? He's watching for them. He's, he's paying attention to their needs. He knows what they need. And the, the verse here says that many people were coming and going so you definitely get the idea that they were crowded. And uh, we had, we've learned earlier about the thronging, that the, the people were thronging on Jesus and his disciples constantly. So think about that, that you've been out giving and now you're being bombarded, you're being thronged. You need to rest, correct? You need some time away. So Mitch, you kind of beat me to it, but why do we need to rest? Why is that important? you know, we have people that drive our pastors in between the services because after they have spoken, they are that emotionally just discharged that they're worried about them even being able to drive a car. It is a real thing. And it's interesting that, you know, we today drive ourselves so hard and we never stop. And what good are we, what good are we in the ministry if we're exhausted? Like, are we giving God our best when we're just destroyed, when we're tired? We don't, we're not doing God any good. So, you know, you can, we can learn a lot just from rest. It's okay. Take a break. God commands it. Miss Sherry. <laughs> Especially if you have children, right? Take a nap. Absolutely. Yeah, we've all seen our children fall apart when they're tired, right? We're no different. So the second part of this, though, is he said that they were so busy that they didn't even have leisure to eat. So how do you function without food? How do y'all do? How do I do, Catherine? I am, like, if you look up those Snicker Bar hangry commercials, I am that. I am he. Um, the, 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 my vision closes in, and I feel like I can't focus. 
I get shaky. I can't even make a decision. Pan- I get panicked. Yeah. <laughs> so, but start, start seeing these emotions, seeing the things the disciples were going to. They'd been out. They'd given them themselves. There was nothing left. They hadn't even eaten. And Jesus sees this and he said, come away by yourselves with me. Let's get away. So again, back to the foreshadowing. So what does a shepherd do? What is he concerned about with his flock? He's concerned about them eating. He's concerned about their welfare. So Jesus here is immediately starting to show what that shepherding looks like. Because remember, he's, Jesus isn't going to be here forever. The disciples are going to be here longer than he is at this point. And he's teaching them this shepherding. Come and look. Come get away with me. And I think it's really neat, though, that the idea of shepherding that he's showing them, it's not just the physical needs, but it's the spiritual needs. He's showing them how, how he is the great shepherd. He, is, uh, he, can, he can show them spiritually and physically what they need and give that to them. He can meet both of those needs. All right, go ahead. Verse 32. So it says, and they went away. So let's, let's again... Where are they going away from, or what are they going away from? The crowds. So do not forget this. They're going away from the crowds. They're leaving that greater circle, the distraction. So could the entire crowd fit into one boat? Maybe one of Mitch's boats, but not one of my boats. Not one of my boats, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, those are ships, right? But it's important, I think it's important to understand that he said they all went away in the boat because it wasn't all of them. It was just the disciples. It was just a small group of people. So he is extracting them from this thronging situation. And it also helps to show that there are others outside. So he is differentiating the difference between the inside and the outside because you can see that with the boat, the physical boat itself. And again, so this is the second time that desolate place shows up. And it's actually interesting that uh, desolate place shows up all through Mark. Um, chapters 1, verse 3 and 4, when it talks about Jesus preached in the wilderness, this is the same word for desolate place. I'm oh, sorry, John taught in the wilderness. Jesus does it too. But first John taught in the wilderness. So that's, John was out in a desolate place. Uh, 1, 12, and 13, Jesus was tempted in a desolate place in the wilderness. 35, Jesus went and prayed in a desolate place. And then 45, Jesus preached in a desolate place. So it kind of hit me that, you know, if we ever find ourselves in a desolate place, that Jesus went there. In fact, it seemed like that was one of the places he wanted to go. Alright, verse 33. So now many saw them and recognized them. Alright, so who saw? Who is, who is doing the scene? The crowd, again. The outer circle. And who was recognized? Right. 
So this actually kind of blew me away. Uh, Mark is very deliberate in the words that he uses. So if the Jesus and the disciples were recognized, this was a year and a half before the crucifixion. And he is foreshadowing Peter being recognized. So they were already famous at this point, a year and a half early. And then to think that Peter's like, no, I'm not the man. And the girl is like, no, I recognize you. It's the exact same word that they used right here. And so apparently there's some uh, church history, people argue back and forth, but the general consensus is that Mark is telling Peter's firsthand account. So Mark is going to use that word deliberately. Peter's word, recognized. They were famous already. It's amazing. So then who ran on foot again? The crowd. And as they ran, the crowd got larger. More people. They're running through, they're running through the city streets saying, look, there's this Jesus and the disciples that are healing people, that are changing lives. Look, they're over there. They're on the other side of the lake. Let's go follow them. And the crowd got larger and larger and larger. So it's interesting to show that Jesus was wanting to have a small gathering with his inner circle, got in the boat and left, but it had the exact opposite effect of that intention. But I want to show that that was pretty much what Jesus probably intended to happen. It wasn't, uh, you know, the crowd got the better of Jesus. But he did have some time with them in the boat, and they went across. All right, verse 34. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. All right, so what does simply going ashore imply? And getting out. So the inner circle now is going someplace to where they can get out and be near the outer circle, the greater, the greater people. So they are, were not with the people, now they are with the people. And it said that he had compassion on them. So in your notes it says that uh, compassion means to have the bowels yearn. Or that longing, that uh, deep sense of feeling. And if you look it up on dictionary.com, it's sympathetic pity. And concern for the sufferings and the misfortunes of others. So we've been, we've been talking this whole time about he was looking for the immediate need of the apostles and his immediate need. They're tired, they're hungry, they're exhausted, and yet Jesus has compassion for the others. And we actually see compassion several times in Mark. Um, chapter, one, chapter 1, verse 41, uh, when Jesus cleanses the leper, Jesus was, was moved with pity for the leper. He felt compassion. Uh, chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus feeds the 4,000. They use the exact same word. He had compassion for the people. Which, interestingly enough, I've kind of glossed over the fact there was a 5,000 and a 4,000. He actually does this again, right? Isn't that exciting? Chapter 9, verse 22. 
Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And the father actually says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That pleading, you can see that sense of need. And Jesus saw that too, which is the beautiful part. So what does this compassion show about Jesus' focus? Who is his focus on? The people. But we just spent all this time showing how his focus was on the immediate need of the disciples. But I think that's the beautiful part that we see about Jesus. We see through his actions that his focus is on others. It was on his disciples too. It wasn't saying Jesus was hungry and Jesus was exhausted. He knew the disciples were hungry and they were exhausted. And now he had compassion on these people. And then we're talking about this inner circle, outer circle. So what just happened to the circle now that they got off the boat? A lot bigger. In fact, it was bigger than the circle that they left. So that's kind of my question here is, uh, how do we miss these opportunities to make our circle bigger? Think about all the chances that we've had. Um, I'll tell on myself. I have driven past a broken down car on a Sunday morning just to get to church on time. That hurts. Actually, I put a frowny face. All right, verse 34. So when he went ashore and he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So this, this concept, this visual of a sheep without a shepherd, what, what does that look like? What do sheep look like without a shepherd? disorganized. Yeah, they certainly could be dead. They could be harmed. Confused. Eaten alive. We're in danger. They're hungry. And it's kind of a rhetorical question, but why do we need a shepherd? Because we're disorganized and we're hungry and we're a mess, and we're scattered. Absolutely. So, you know, a preacher could spend six Sundays on sheep without a shepherd. But um, I think it's neat to be able to take this pre-flannel graph story and look at all the workings before Jesus even does the miracle, right? And Jesus is seeing that need for the, to be the shepherd. And he's actually seeing the need to teach how to be a shepherd because he's teaching his disciples this. And I, you know, I'm not going to get into the, the next lesson and take all those fun bullet points away, but but, but see this foreshadowing that's about to start happening. All right, last slide. Yes, sir. We're really 
That's right. Where the, where the rubber meets the road. Well, I will tell on myself when I was reading this, I'm like, what am I going to teach about? Right? I actually looked to see if I could find a flannel graph, by the way. And yeah. All right. All right. So the last slide, though. So the things that I really want, we need to think about here is one is that we need to spend some time with God in a desolate place. We need that quiet time away from these distractions that are all around us, especially with what all is going on right now. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was hard just to focus on teaching and learning this week with everything that's going on in the news and everything that's going on around us. But we need some time in a desolate place. We need to be with God. And we need to make our circle larger. Um... When we take our eyes off ourselves and start looking around us, we start seeing the needs, and they're everywhere. I mean, we're just, <laughs> it's almost overwhelming. And then, yeah, the last bullet point is, which shepherd are we following? Because it's real easy to be misled and to go in the wrong directions. So, so that's the end of the lesson today. Um, I appreciate everyone being here. So, let's see, next week we're going to start Mark 6, verse 35, Jim. And our homework, as usual, is to pray for help in understanding Mark. Hear Mark multiple times in multiple ways. Think about Mark often, day and night. Talk with someone, dead or alive, about Mark. And share your insights about Mark. Invite a member and a non-member. Um, so be sure everybody write your names on the, uh, the sheet at your table. Take some time to pray and lean in. And thank you for being in our Sunday school. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.